34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Read New City Catechism question seven with me. What does, does the, the law, law of God, God require? require? Personal, Personal, perfect, perfect and perpetual, perpetual obedience, obedience. That we, we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done, and what God commands should always be done. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Keely. Testing, testing. Mine's real loud. I'm glad you're here this morning. We're on uh, question number seven. What does the law of God require? And we read Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 40. And what the law of God requires is something very uh, demanding. It says personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. And in that, what it said was that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. That's the first and great commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So there's a lot in the Old Testament about the law of God. And most of us think in the law of God, it falls within the story of God's people. So it is within the whole overarching story of the Bible. And where does it fall and what is its importance? And what does it actually require of us? What is its importance in the flow of the story? And most of us, when we think of the law of God, we think of the Decalogue, we think of the Ten Commandments, we think of Moses. But God gave commands uh, from the very beginning. So throughout all of his words, there are commands that God gives. So first we see God in Genesis, that God is creator. And he gives within the perfect setting of the garden a command. He gives his law. And he gives it to Adam. And he says, the Lord God commanded the man, saying... In Genesis 2, 16, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. So this is the Lord's commandment. Here's the law. Verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's the commandment. Pretty much, pretty simple, right? In the garden, everything's beautiful. Adam doesn't know good and evil. Everything's good. He knows fellowship with God. And yet he's tricked and lured.
away and sins against God. And with that sin comes separation from God. And with separation from God comes Adam's misery. And life and their kids. Murder right away. Cain killing Abel. And we see the result of sin. So we see in the Bible that God credits the human race under the headship of Adam. Adam is the human representative for the human race. And if any of us were Adam, we would have done the same thing. The Bible's pretty much uh, pointing to that. And in Romans 5.8, it kind of describes what happened here, uh, that all humans are under the, the headship of Adam, and to disobey God results in sin, sin and condemnation. And so Romans 5.18 says, Therefore, as one trespass, or the trespass of the one, talking about that one trespass of Adam, it led to condemnation for all men. All men were condemned. So, one act of righteousness, or the act of righteousness, leads to the justification and life for all men. So one act of disobedience in Adam created the human race, but one act of righteousness in Jesus provides the way out from that disobedience. So there's human representatives uh, that stand in the place of a race, and Adam stands in the place of all the human race, and his disobedience lives leads to the disobedience of all. We're all in that human race, so we need God's gift. The problem is Adam's sin. That's our misery. That's human misery. The way out is through the one act of righteousness in Jesus. One act of complete, perfect obedience is our way out. And so most of us think it's not just this Adamic uh, covenant and disobedience, but when we think of the law and what the law of God requires, we mostly think of what God commanded under the Mosaic Covenant. We think of Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, and then all the laws that were given uh, in relationship to that, all the civil laws, all the ceremonial laws that came along with that. So there was ten basic laws, but when you go through and look at all of the Torah, all of the Pentateuch, the first five of the books, you end up with a number, for those who like counting, which Jewish people did, really getting specific there, 613 commands given. Some are repeated, so they don't count those that are repeated over and over again, but you come up with about 613 uh, laws and commands given directly from God to his people. And these were given, uh, some of them you might uh, be able to relate to uh, the ceremonial laws. They concerned the priesthood, how they would sacrifice, exactly what kind of animal to sacrifice, how to do it, cleanliness laws, festival laws, uh, dietary laws. These were laws and commands given by God. And God also, in looking at the, the first of the, of, of the five, four commandments in the ten, the Decalogue, are more about how our love is for God, 
but then the last six have to do uh, with how we love within our family, honor your father and mother, and then how we treat one another. So those are in part our civil laws, but the civil laws got real specific after those. Uh, You might remember the story of uh, Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus, basically because he was a tax collector, uh, what tax collectors did was they made their money by skimming off the top. So they, they taxed more, and everybody knew this, than what the Romans demanded. And so they would tax you know, extra and keep some of it for themselves and then pay the Romans off. So when Zacchaeus, you know, Jesus says, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight, and he comes in there, Zacchaeus repents. Jesus' love welcomes him in, and he says, I will repay fourfold anything that I stole from anyone. See, cheating somebody is stealing from somebody. We have a lot of scammers out there. Billions of dollars just from Americans are scammed uh, from people. And when you scam, uh, you gotta, you, you're, you to, if you want to repent, you got to pay the person back. But under the law, it's given very specifically. It had regulations. It had civil laws about not just that you had to repay someone like you stole $100 from, give them 100 back. You had to pay fourfold. So you had to pay 120 back. You had to put something on top of it for cheating them out. Keep, even if you found something from your neighbor and you knew it was theirs and you didn't disclose that to them and give them back, if you decided to repent and give it back to them, you gave that back plus 20%, fourfold. That's what Zacchaeus has. He, he has this repentance. So the laws were very intricate. It wasn't just thou shalt not steal, but steal had cheating, finding something, keeping it for yourself. And all these laws are broken down. That's described in Leviticus, in Leviticus 6. It has the breakdown of stealing, cheating, finding something, all these details, and it commands from God, keep it, do it. And this is what you must do to be right uh, with me. You must be right with one another. God sees this as very important, that it's not just loving God, but we see in this commandment it's about loving our neighbor But Scripture does show different distinctions within the law. Uh, Jesus, uh, in Matthew 5, when he's talking about the law, he's talking about bringing a gift to the altar. So you're offering this gift to God. But he says, first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Well, I just want to offer my gift to God. And Jesus says, I think something in the law about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, I think this important part is above you giving this gift at the altar to God. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. He sees that above bringing your gift to God. Like, go and be reconciled first. Then bring your gift. Nothing wrong with bringing the gift. Bring your gift to God. But be reconciled. If you have Uh, unreconciled unforgiveness to your brother Jesus is putting that within the law of God of loving God and loving your neighbor you see how there's a little bit more weight to that like leave that there go reconcile then come and Jesus does this in other places he uh, he says go and learn what this means in Matthew chapter 9 verse 13 I desire mercy and not sacrifice what is he saying there He's saying, yeah, you can bring your sacrifices, but I desire that you show mercy. You're really good at bringing all these sacrifices. Yeah, I commanded those, 
But I desire that above that, that you would show mercy. And then he makes it really clear in Matthew 23, uh, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, tithe and everything, clear down to their spices that they grew in their gardens. I take 10% of this off, give it to the priest, give it, you know, just exacting, right? But you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Here's what they had done. They had focused on the things you know, we like to feel good about ourselves. I can do these things really good. So I'm doing these things really good, yet we, when we neglect something, we don't see it, right? But Jesus is putting the spotlight, and he's using the law, and that's what the law, law does. It spotlights our uh, inability to please God. It spotlights, it spotlights our sin. It puts it on us, and it, it, that's what Jesus is doing with the law. He's saying, you, you tithe, but you've left out the weightier matters, the heavier part, the more important parts of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Where are those in you? So, you know, he's, he's cracking down. He's not backing away from what the law stands for because the law is good and it is holy and it reflects the holy nature of God. And Jesus is perfectly, perfectly shining that out. And it will reveal. People will run and hide in the shadows from the holy nature of God coming down. And God's holiness is still exacting, and it demands perfect, perpetual, complete obedience. And there's no way to hide from it, and Jesus is letting him know. And he says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Nothing wrong with tithing your spices. You should have done these things. That's great. Be exacting with God, because that is what he is demanding. But do not neglect don't just do one little thing to feel good about yourself and then, well, now I can like slack on these other things. Jesus is saying, the law demands all of you. And that's what the summation of our text is today. It is the sum summary of all of these things. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. See, how you work within these areas is how you love God and how you treat and how you steal or how you keep something. I won't return that. Uh, all of these things and all of the regulations that break out, of, out from the law, the Ten Commandments, all have God's holy standards in mind. And they all have to do, when we're not doing them, the basic summary of them is we're either not loving God or we're not loving our neighbor. That's the summation of the law. That's where the categories, like if you have to summarize all what God is demanding, they fall underneath those two things. You're either not loving God with your all or you're not loving your neighbor like you would yourself. Take care of yourself. Um, we give our, our neighbors the, the second best, right? <laughs> we don't, we like, you know, give them the leftovers or what we don't use. We don't, we don't love them like ourselves, right? I mean, all these things are like when it starts digging after it, it gets into this question because Je Jesus has said to love with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. And then he says, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Everything that God said depends on whether you're loving God with your all and loving your neighbor like yourself. 
So what does the law of God require? Personal, perfect, perpetual obedience. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbors, ourselves. What God forbids should never be done. And what God, God commands should always be done. What he says should always be done. We're under the weight of, 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 of that holiness. Aren't we as fallen human beings? Uh, in, the, in the human race of Adam fallen, the law, the law shines it's light on our sinfulness. And Jesus, does it really? Does it really do that? Does it really demand? I mean, does Jesus come reflecting the holy nature of God? And does he really, <clears throat> really say that the law demands perfect obedience? He does. He goes deeper into the law. He goes into people that kind of think they're keeping the law. And he goes, you're not really keeping it. And the great, some people say, well, let's just kind of live by the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus is saying about the law. In Matthew 5, 17, he says, do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he starts hitting on them as the great lawgiver, the new Moses coming down on the mountain with the law. And he says, you've heard it said. Yeah, in the law and the commandments, right? You've heard it said, you shall not murder Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Yeah, you'll pay the price for murder. You're right. But I say to you, here's the law at its depth. Here's the law of how all of us are murderers. In a deeper way, people justifying themselves. Yeah, I haven't murdered. Jesus says, but I say to you, everyone that is angry with his brother will be liable to that same judgment. I haven't committed adultery. Well, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But I say, Jesus is always saying, but I say to you that everyone looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It was said, whoever divorces his wife, uh, to let him have, this is Moses allowed divorce, uh, to give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife except for the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery if it's not on those grounds. Jesus does not back away from what God commands. He goes into oaths about swearing. He says, you shall not, uh, you've heard it said in the days of old, you shall not swear falsely. But you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath of, uh, at all. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You couldn't even count on yes, I'll do it. No, I won't. You, it was like crossing your fingers behind your back. It was like, well, if I didn't swear to it, you know, the yes didn't mean anything. If I didn't swear to the no, then the no didn't mean anything. And these oaths got in. Well, I didn't really actually make the oath. And Jesus says, wipe all that out. Quit saying that if you just don't swear by anything, it doesn't mean anything. Your word means something. And if your yes is yes, let it be yes. And if your no means no, I mean no. And that's the exacting of the law. It's like getting back to the root of things. It had already deteriorated. And we think that things have deteriorated now. We think that maybe this, uh, uh, you know, all these different ideas on, on marriage that are, you know, coming out. You know, well, man can marry man. You know, woman can marry man. And we can make that legal and all this. But you can go back to the 60s, believe it or not. And that's when... Uh, Governor Reagan in, in, in California enacted no-fault divorce. It became a law in California. Now, to his cre credit, even though he was the governor that, that enacted uh, no-fault divorce, uh, 
He later admitted that it was one of the biggest mistakes of his political life, what he enacted there. Because what it did was every state followed, and you didn't even need a reason to get a divorce. You just walk in, and I don't have a reason. But before, the law actually meant something, and it was more in line with God's word. And after that enacting of no-fault divorce, divorces doubled within the next two decades. It was just easy. Easy come, easy go. I feel like when I perform marriages and I say, by the laws invested in me in the state of New Mexico, and by, they don't mean anything. It has no bite anymore with our law anymore. Because they can walk out and just walk right down and sign a thing and sign right back out. But it used to be you had to prove your case. But we don't anymore. And we suffer. And I know marriage is difficult. And I know marriage is very hard. But when you make things uh, just case sera, sera, in and out, who gives you know, anything about the, the sanctity of marriage anymore? I mean, we, we went off the slippery slope way back then. And, and it's all led to everything that we see today. And when our laws get off of the laws that God has enacted, and the closer they are to his laws, the better. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is getting them back and saying, this is what God always intended, and this is the heart of the law. And he looks at retaliation. He looks at the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. And he says, do not Resist the one who is evil. Turn to him the other cheek. He pushes the law where it says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. He's saying, I'll tell you where this love of your neighbor goes to. It goes to where you love uh, even those who despitefully use you. You continue to love them because this is the love of God. God loves us when we were his enemies. Jesus died on that cross and he carried your sins way before you came and repented of your sins. He bore your sin. And he says, go and be like that. Bear people's sins when they're unworthy, when they're in the mire, when they're in the pit. That's when you love them. You love them when they hate you because you hated God and you hated your neighbor. And God sent his only son to die for you. That's when he loved you. And if you don't love people before that, how are they going to come to Jesus and say, you loved me when I was unworthy to be loved? That's how they experience the love of God. And this text is about the commandments of God wrapped up in the love of God and the love of those that are in need. And that's what Jesus says. You think loving your neighbors, loving your great brother that loves you back, the Gentiles do that. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love those that don't love you back. That's the demands of the law. That's perfect obedience. But some people think, I'm doing pretty good. And they compare themselves uh, to people around them. And not the shining light of God's holy standards and his holy nature. Because when that shines on you, you look and you realize, I need a savior. And that's what the law is meant to do. It's meant to shine its light on you. James says that for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is guilty of all of it. He's emphasizing this same thing. You think you can please God through keeping the law, you can't. You fail in one point, you're guilty of it all. That's what Jesus is saying too. James is just saying the same thing. And the law originally said that in Deuteronomy 27, 26. This is that perfect demand 
of the law. Is it really? Is it really that shining, that kind of light? Cursed be he who confirms not all the words of this law, all of them. You break one, you break them all. And the people say, Amen. Galatians 3.10, For as many are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. That's demanding. That is exactly what the confessional said today. It demands perfect, perpetual obedience. Not doing what God has commanded not to do and always doing what he says to do. You see, we all fall short of that. (laughs) You let that light shine on you and you'll get to kind of the same category in the Heidelberg Catechism. It's day two. It hits you right on day two and it has a much more answer to the questions and much more scriptures around each one of the answers but it gives three questions and answers on the lord's day too it says how are you to come to know your misery it says the law of god tells me that's how i come to know my misery and romans three twenty says that since through the law comes the knowledge of sin through the law, you trespass. It shines its light. It shows you. It shows you your misery. It shows you your failure. It shows you your sin. Paul confessed that. I didn't know I was a coveter until the law said, "Thou shalt not covet." Then I realized I was coveting everything. It shined its light on the apostle Paul. He said, "You're a coveter. This is what you are, and you break the law." And that's what the law is to do. But then the next question is the same as our New City Catechism, question 7. It says, what does God's law require of us? And the same scripture is used. That Christ teaches that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's the greatest and first commandment and second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. That's what the law requires. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In the next question in the Heidelberg Catechism, still on the Lord's Day 2, question 5, can you live up to all this perfectly? No. I have a natural tendency to hate God and hate my neighbor. That's what it says. You confess. It shines its spotlight on us. You see, John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people loved darkness. They loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. We don't want the light shining on us. We don't want the light of God's perfect and holy nature. See, the law isn't just things God wrote. The law is reflecting God. It's reflecting who He is. It's reflecting His holy nature. It is who He is. And it shines a light on us that we are in the Adamic race. We are in Adam We are those fallen sinners, trespassers of God's law. So we try to give to the needy. These are are good things. Jesus confronts that after Matthew 5 and the law. And he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Again, this is just that exacting nature of the law. 
Like, they're actually doing good things. They're practicing righteousness. They're praying. They're doing good things. But Jesus is, like, always digging. He's always shining, like, the holy nature of God and getting down into your heart and going, why are you doing these? Well, it doesn't matter. I'm doing the good thing, right? No. Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness in order to be seen by other people. For you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Yet, he had said in Matthew 5, 16, Uh, to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So yes, you let them shine. People see, we sang this morning about, well, who gets the glory? Who, Who is the glory for? What is it about? What is the motive of our hearts to bring glory to God? Bring glory and praise to ourselves. It's a hard thing, man. God shines the light. He shines the light. And Jesus is shining the light. Perfect obedience. He's looking at the motives of our heart. That's why he says that people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They might have been doing maybe halfway decent things, but it was about selfish motives in the end. It was about getting some reward to be looked at in a certain way. These are all things that only God judges and God sees and he looks at our heart, but he's searching our heart and he wants all of our love, see? He wants all of our being. He doesn't want just a part of it. He doesn't want us just going through motions. He wants love involved in it. Love for him and love for our neighbor. A genuine caring about our nature, not just going through the motions. He wants motive at the depth and the root. And I mean, it, it just, it brings us to our knees, doesn't it? Brings me to, to my knees. I, I was meditating on this all week and talking to Teresa about it. And I said, have you or I, you know, really ever done anything really good? I mean, like with any kind of pure motive, you know, sin just like navigates into it somewhere. We get some little thing. It's like, and she said, no, not without God's help. Never done anything good. I was like, whoa, man, that's, yeah, that's my woman. (laughs) Yeah, not without God's help. And And I see in the Bible, I do nothing good without God's Holy Spirit. If his Holy Spirit doesn't work in me and enable me, sin just corrupts everything I try to do, even if it's good. And the law shines its light on me. And I say, I need you, Jesus. I need a Savior. That's what the law does. It doesn't make me boast to myself, or I got this, and I can do it. I can be a better me. It says I can't be a better me. I need my Savior. Help me to do this. Oh, man, you can see stuff kind of completely outside of yourself. When God does something through you, when it is not I, but Christ through me. We see the difference there. We see God and the purity of his motives move through our heart. That's when he says, you're obeying me. Walking in my commandment to love me and to love your neighbor. That's what the law does. Shines a light on our own sin and creates a dependency more on him. Not on my own, but God. Well, the law of God requires a lot out of us. And it brings us to the point, just like Isaiah when he went into that temple in Isaiah 6. And he was in God's presence. What did it make him feel? He said, woe is me, for I am lost. Coming into the presence of God causes us to see our sin. His holy nature is so shining. The angels are singing holy, holy, holy. That triple holy means perfect. 
and holiness. Not just holy is the Lord, but holy, holy, holy. Anytime, yeah, two makes an emphasis, three in the Bible is like perfect holiness, and the angels were singing it. Holy, 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 Isaiah records. And what does Isaiah do? He says, woe am I. I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, the law of God, the holiness of God, shined a light on his own sin, and he said, I'm a man with unclean lips. I'm lost. I'll be destroyed in the holy presence of God. And this is what the, the exacting law of God reflects, the holy nature of God. So no matter what we reduce the law of God down to, 613 laws, 10 laws, these two, I just want to love God and love my neighbor. We can't keep that because that sums up the 613. <laughs> I just want to reduce it down to Micah 6.8 and walk humbly before my God and live just, yeah, reduce it down to that and try to do it. You'll fail. I, Isaiah cries out in his poetic way of Israel's sin. He says, behold, for your iniquities you were sold in Isaiah 50. For your transgressions, and you transgress all the transgressions of the law, and you've transgressed them. In Isaiah 50, verse 4, we see the suffering servant, the obedient servant, the obedient Israelite, the man representing a new race redeem us from the Adamic race, from the fallen, from the hating God's ways and God's law and hating our neighbor to one who would come in the servant's obedience coming in Isaiah 50 verse 4. He says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens me, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. Who, who is this? One that was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheek to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Isaiah showing us Israel's disobedience and the ultimate Israelites' obedience in this man who would come and offer his back to be whipped and his beard to be pulled and his face to be spit in for a disobedient people. That's who's coming for you, Israel. That's who's come for you, people of God. And that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is the purpose of the law, to shine his light on our sin, to make us miserable and uncomfortable with our sin so that we will repent and not perish. Amen? We're going to sing in closing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And it starts off,